Hello, Penn Medicine, and welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. I'm Mitch Sherman, and today we have Malik Muhammad, who's the Associate Director of the LGBTQ Plus Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Malik, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. It's Friday, and I'm excited to be here to be in conversation with you. It is Friday. I'm definitely excited about that, too. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for being here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Um, for listeners that don't know, can you give a rundown of sort of what you do for the university, what your day-to-day looks like, what your goals are, things like that? Of course. So hello, everyone. Again, my name is Malik Muhammad. I use he and his pronouns, and I serve as one of the associate directors here at the University of Penn LGBT Center. And a lot of my role, you know, it's funny, I get to wear lots of different hats. So I'll give you a quick little spiel on kind of what I do and who we are as a center. So you can think of the LGBT Center as somewhat of a central hub for LGBTQ plus life here at Owen Penn's campus. We serve all staff, faculty, students, alumni, and when I say students, that is both undergraduate and graduate and professional students, got to make that clear sometimes, Um, and some of the surrounding community, and we do so through three pillars, education, advocacy, and support. Through those three levels, we are really ensuring that the university community it's doing its best to be as inclusive of folks within the LGBTQ plus realm. Um, starting with that advocacy piece, you can think of us both on a general advocacy level as well as individual. So we are ensuring that the university at large is instilling policies and procedures that are inclusive of folks within the LGBTQ plus community. So we have supported getting gender inclusive restrooms. We've supported getting sexuality and gender identity in our non-discrimination policies. We've supported folks folks who may feel like they've been aggrieved in any way because of their identity in some way. So really, again, doing our best to make sure that as a university, we are doing what we can to support folks within the community. In addition to that advocacy piece, we are a support space. So within that support, we provide uh, confidential resources. So we are one of nine confidential resources on campus where folks can come and talk about anything at all and know that it is not going to go out in any way. So we support folks who may have experienced any form of sexual misconduct, any form of interpersonal violence. We support folks who may be navigating the coming out experience, navigating pieces of their identity. Um, so it, it really ranges, right, how, how we support folks in that confidential space. We are not a counseling space. We do not do counseling services, but we do provide what we call options counseling, where we help folks have an understanding of what resources are available and how they can tap into them. The last piece I can talk about is our education. We do a lot of educational outreach. I spearhead a lot of our educational programming. Uh, we do our broadening your perspective sessions. We do promoting LGBTQ plus inclusivity. We do trans workshops, pronoun workshops, kind of whatever education folks need around LGBTQ plus identity while also looping in that piece of intersectionality, recognizing that folks are coming with all different types of identities and how they all mesh and mold together to really ensure that our campus community is educated how to engage with, one, the queer community, but then also how to effectively engage with people across difference. And then lastly, I'll just share, we're kind of just a community building space, right? Really making sure that folks within the LGBTQ plus community feel like they have a home here on the campus at the University of Penn. Uh, our model here at the LGBT Center is no matter who you are, no matter how you identify, you belong. So a lot of what we do is just making sure that folks feel like they have a place where they can just be. That's awesome. 
uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of great work that you guys are doing that you're continuing to do. I imagine that the role that you that you hold has changed in the last couple of years in some ways. I, I feel like in the last not that this is a new topic whatsoever, but I feel like it's been more prevalent and at the forefront for people to talk about gender identity, for people to have sexual or identify different ways sexually, um, different sexual orientations, things like that. And obviously, it's been in the news all the time mm-hmm. and for one reason or another. And I'm curious to hear how your role has changed and how the work that you're doing has evolved in the last couple of years since it has come to more to the forefront. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you acknowledging the new level of awareness that folks are having in terms of LGBTQ plus identity. But I will also say, as you mentioned, this is nothing new. Right. I, I always say I will never be out of a job. Because there is always going to be a need for folks to think about and uplift LGBTQ plus identities, right? I wish we lived in a world where we didn't have to worry about this, but we know that navigating identity period has been something that we as a people have consistently struggled with. Um, well, so I will say in recent years, especially as we think about coming in and out of COVID, as we've seen a rise in anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment, as we've seen a high rise in anti-trans sentiment, I think a lot of our work here at the center has shifted to really making sure that our students especially know that they belong, that they that their existence is valid. I think that's one of the biggest things that we see sometimes is that within our social political sphere, folks are trying to invalidate the existence of people within the queer community. And I will tell you right now, we have been around since people have been around. Queer folks have been around since people have existed, period. And I think so much of what we what we hear and see is that folks are confused because they're saying, what is this new thing? Mm-hmm. Queer folks are not new. Trans and non-binary folks are not new. I think the newness comes in as we explore the language that we're using when we discuss and think about folks who identify within our community. The language is continuously expanding. Our culture is ever expanding. And there is a new level of, um, when I, when we say new level of awareness, I think a lot of that just comes from folks being willing to share their stories more, right? This is where I talk about social media and the internet being both a blessing and a curse, right? Yep. It's a, it's a beautiful space where folks can share their experience where they can connect with others who hold similar similar experiences. But at the same time, it has become a platform where folks are spreading misinformation, a platform in which folks are harassing and harming each other. So I think finding that balance of how we embrace, uplift, and engage with stories around LGBTQ plus identities so we can learn more about people's lived experiences without leaning into all the hate that we see in the world. Yeah, the social media aspect is really interesting and in, in how there's sort of a duality to it. I, I talked about it on a recent podcast with regards to mental health and the stigmas around that and mm. how, you know, people can ridicule other people about their mental health um, situations and issues because a lot of that is subjective where mm. um, you can't necessarily see what's going on. Um, but at the same time, it does provide a safe place for people to, you know, see a meme about anxiety or something, say, oh, like they get it, too. We can laugh about this. Sure. Um, so so there was the duality. Um, now, I feel like in the like up until the last couple of years and I could be coming from a naive perspective, but I feel like we were doing pretty well. 
mm. with regards to inclusivity in the LGBTQ community. Um, I feel like I remember, I don't know, maybe was it seven years ago, maybe a bit longer. There were, you know, you didn't have to worry about pride parades in the city. And if they were dangerous, it was a cool place for everybody to go and mm-hmm. celebrate themselves and each other. Uh, what year again was it that, that gay marriage was legalized? That was 2014, 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah. So, so a little longer than seven years ago, but about mm-hmm. that time. So I felt like, you know, we were on this awesome track. And then I feel like a couple years after that, and especially in the last few years, there's been honestly a regression. I feel that we were on this great path to to more to a more inclusive environment, and it doesn't feel that way anymore. I, I saw in the news a couple weeks ago that country of Canada issued an advisory for the United States and entering the country if you are a member of the LGBTQ community because mm-hmm. of certain areas in the country that just don't have a tolerance for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering <clears throat> – uh, from your perspective, I know that this could be a very long answer, but where do you think this regression is coming from? Yeah. So, one, I want to correct my mistake. I said 2014. It was 2015. June 2015, 2015. Okay. is when uh, gay marriage was legalized. Um, but to to think about where it stems, I, honestly, so much of it, for me at least, and I can only speak from my own personal experience mm-hmm. and kind of the experience I have in, in doing this work, I call myself a professional queer. Um, (laughs) I think so much of it has stemmed from one. I think COVID really did. It was a collective trauma Mm -hmm. that put us all in a space where we are shifting our level of awareness and how we think about and engage with who we are as a people. And then around that same time, unfortunately, the dear, dear death of our dear brother um George Floyd sparked you know uh, a resurgence in how folks were thinking about one race issues in our country but then also identity issues more at large and prior to that pre covid i i want to say and i and i don't like always leaning into the political nature of it all but trump era also ignited a lot of folks to for lack of a better way of saying it, come out of the woodworks, yeah. right? Although we were seeing a rise in um, inclusivity, a rise in how folks were thinking about equality, the Trump era really did shift that dynamic a bit. It gave folks who were ready to perpetuate harm more of a drive and a way of thinking about it, doing so in a way where they felt justified to step in and start to really bring forward more of that hate. So part of the regression, I think, started there. But I think a lot of the continuation of it is is a lack of understanding. Most of the hate that folks get so much towards the LGBTQ plus community and even more specifically towards the trans and non-binary community is from a lack of understanding exactly what it even means to be trans, what it means to be non-binary. And a lot of that stems from the very strong dominant cultural belief that leans into that gender binary, that Mm -hmm. every single person you meet is going to fall into either this or that category. 
And that just is not true, both biologically speaking and speaking socially. Right. I think those are two levels that we have to to engage with. Right. One, how do we truly look at the biodiversity of the human experience that goes beyond just saying that someone is biologically male or biologically female? Or as we say in the field and as we should start to say more, assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Again, thinking about when we look at our medical field, there is even more biodiversity in the human experience. But then also how we structure and socialize how we think about gender, right? Gender in and of itself is a social construct. We give meaning to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be something outside of that. We define what things are masculine, what things are feminine, what things ebb and flow between the two. And we're seeing a continuous shift in how our culture thinks about that. But at the same time, that shift is scary to folks, right? I think maybe around like 2016, 2017 or so, we were experiencing what we called a gender revolution, right? Where we're redefining what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be something outside of that. And that shook people to their core, especially folks who were very steadfast in their traditional ways of thinking about what gender is and how it is supposed to be enacted and or performed in the world. I really like how you preface how you preface that with in terms of the false binary of it, mm-hmm. um, especially coming from a guy's perspective. I feel like I hear things from some of my peers. I see things online about, you know, alpha male, beta male, things like that. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, uh, it doesn't mean much to me. And if that leads to you labeling me a beta, so be it. I don't really care. <laughs> sure. But, but yeah, I, I do agree. There's so many false binaries that, that exist in society and especially with regards to sexuality and when in reality it is a spectrum. So yeah. I, I don't know where this originates. I know in the Bible it's, you know, marriages between a man and a woman. It also says love thy neighbor. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's where it originates. I don't know if it's just people seeing things that are different than them in society, as you said, creating these ideas of what masculinity and femininity, femininity should be, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that this has always existed? And, and as you mentioned, the political environment gave people more comfort in expressing this hate or is it sort of a chicken in the egg scenario where some of these leaders political or not are fueling this hatred and giving people things to believe mm. you know i think it's a mix of both i yeah. think not a duality <laughs> yeah I, I you know i and, that, and that's honestly just the way that i perceive things you know i come from a psychological background right i have my um bachelor's in psychology and a master's in higher education counseling and student affairs. So I'm always thinking about the nuanced way that we collectively think about things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much of it stems from a place of us trying to understand the world and do so in a way that just feels easy, right? We take the easy way out. And that's exactly kind of what bias is in the first place, right? Those cognitive biases that we hold come from a place of us processing so much information at any given moment, right? Even just now, you and I sitting here having this conversation, we are processing so much. We're processing what we see, what we hear, the things around us, the colors that we see. All of that is coming into our mind at one moment, while we're also thinking about all the extra layers of the social um, expectations 
of how even you and I are supposed to engage as men in this world, right? Yeah. So what we do is we create cognitive shortcuts to make it easier for us to process all of this information. And a part of that cognitive shortcut is how we define and think about masculinity versus femininity. So it's it's easy for people to jump to that assumption because they want the easy answer. And it's hard at times for po- for folks to step outside of what they think they know. I think the other piece of why there is so much fueling of this hate is at times that it comes from a place of a lack of self-love or a lack of the willingness to express yourself the way you want. I want to bring forward a, an amazing resource and person by the name of Alok Vade Menon. They are a phenomenal gender nonconforming artist, activist, writer, poet. They do it all, and they allow us to look at how we are expanding the way we think about gender. And the way they talk about it at times is recognizing that a lot of the hate that people are coming with are coming from a place of where they can't – they fear and hate the freedom that someone else has that they can't find for themselves, right? So when we think about trans and non-binary folks, they're stepping into a freedom of saying, no, I'm not going to conform to this extreme way that folks are saying I'm supposed to enter the world. And when folks who have been told they have to conform their entire lives and they have leaned into that conformity, they hate that level of freedom of expression because it's something that they are not allowed to do supposedly, right? So it becomes that inner struggle that then becomes, uh, that is then projected off to other folks in, in a lot of that. But I will also include that you're right. I think there are folks who are allowing their own perspective and especially when they are in a position of power to drive and influence how others are thinking about and engaging with people across difference. Unfortunately, we all do it, right? We are all selfish. We are all selfish. I don't care how great of a person you think you are. I don't care how non-judgmental you think you are. We are all selfish and we all judge people. But we have to recognize if and when that is happening, how do we mitigate that bias? How do we mitigate that judgment as much as possible and not always reflect on the world only from our purview, right? A lot of times we are thinking about engaging in the world based on what we know and our own experiences without being able to step into someone else's shoes, right? We have to be willing to step outside of ourselves to even remotely understand lived experiences of others while also owning and being true to our lived experiences, but not letting that drive so much of what we do and how we move forward. Yeah. And when you reference that lack of ability to come out of your shell and have that freedom of your identity or mm-hmm. that selfishness, it's also our responsibility to just, as you kind of mentioned, not project it as, you know, you see somebody else living their life. What's that got to do with you? Right. You know, like who cares if so-and-so does so-and-so whatever with, with whoever it, it's mm-hmm. got nothing to do with me. Um, and, and I think that, when when people do attack that, you're right. It is more of a projection of self, mm-hmm. um, which is super frustrating. And it, it's also well, I shouldn't say frustrating. It's complicated um, yes. because everybody's got something that they don't about themselves that they might not necessarily uh, observe, and they might mm-hmm. not be uh, 
introspective or they might not be just at the point yet where they're seeing it the way that maybe people on the outside are seeing it. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a really good point around around like recognizing we have to be introspective and reflective of our own identity, but also not let that drive so much of how we are yeah. engaging with other people. Um, at times, that projection, we do actually have more control over it. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe that you have control over your feelings, your emotions. Things are going to come and go as they do. But you can control how you respond to them, how you decide you're going to respond based on some of those emotions. And at times, that again, that lack of self-freedom, that self-expression, feeling like you have to conform and then seeing someone else lean into a freedom that they don't that you don't fully understand, it, it creates that cognitive dissonance. You get you get a little angsty when you see this. And I always try to operate from a place of like meeting people where they are. Right. And I think that's where we we come into this space of allowing people the grace and time to learn and grow. Right. And recognizing that not everyone is in these conversations. Not everyone is in a place where they're even ready to have these conversations. So how do I meet someone where they are by giving validity to their lived experience while also doing my best to help expand their understanding? Right. Expand their perspective beyond just what they think they know, while also recognizing that what they know is their lived experience. And I'm not there to question that, but I am there to hopefully expand the way they think about it. My 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 major thought is, as you said, sometimes it's, folks, you shouldn't have to worry about what other people are doing because it has nothing to do with you. As long as someone is not harming anyone else and hopefully not harming themselves, why does it matter? Yeah. Right. And I think when we get into that larger conversation, people are saying, oh, well, you know, if we just let everybody be gay, how are we going to populate the world? I'm like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Please you know, take a, a lot, take a seat. Right. Sit down. A lot of mental gymnastics there. Yes. Yes. And, and, and again, I think it is a very nuanced thing. But when we have folks who are holding so steadfast to their own beliefs which we call bigotry, right? Saying that your way is the only way mm -hmm. that is so limiting in how we as a people can continue to grow. Yeah. And, and the, the projection of, you know, how you're going to respond to, to some of these things the the thing that comes to my mind and right away is, is the Bud Light controversy. Mm. And obviously, you know, we don't have to dive into what happened, but, I know that people were like, oh, these corporations are trying to push this, quote unquote, woke ideology on us, boycott Bud Light, whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, whether or not you agree or disagree that a corporation is trying to push whatever on you to essentially for them to make money. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, you're still boycotting something because it is trans. Yeah. If you really boil down to it. And at the end of the day, for me, I'm just like, do you want a beer or not? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I it's think that like you're really going to go that extra step to avoid something you're trying to do anyway and, you know, have a beer. It's that's on you. Yeah. I mean, that that leans into a larger conversation yeah. about the the mix of how capitalism <laughs> drives so much <laughs> of what we do and. We have to question at times how and why a company might be doing something. And to me, I, I try to try to operate from a place of if if an organization is making an attempt 
to acknowledge and yep. uplift different identities and especially identities that are oftentimes pushed to the margins. I'm applauding them for their effort. But I also realize I don't know what the back end conversations look like. I don't know how or why they may have made that decision. But what I do know is that representation matters. And if there is a form of representing people across identities and a, an organization is willing and ready to, to step up in that way, great. But it is also a nuanced thing, right? It makes me think about organizations during June who are like, oh, my God, Pride Month, let's put out all the gay things. And then as soon as Pride Month is over – Yep. Where did all the queer inclusivity go, right? So I think that's another thing that we have to consider is how do we go beyond being a Pride Month ally or a Pride Month type of uplifting organization that isn't doing that consistently throughout the year, right? And again, that brings up that piece of intersectionality. How are we as individuals? How are we as organizations? How is we as total industries, how are we as a society embracing and thinking about identities and that larger scheme versus everybody gets one month and that's enough, right? Yeah, and in speaking of these bigger conversations and how do we embrace these larger uh, topics, where do we go from here? Because I feel like there are things that are either taken not seriously enough or taken way too seriously. Mm. And I think it's hard to find a middle ground with these topics because somebody's either going to say, no, we need to take this a step further. We need to make sure this is really people are really aware of what's going on. And then there's the other uh, end of it where it's like, no, this is like too woke or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so where do you think we go from here? Where's the middle ground that's still productive enough to get what we need done? Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah. And, well, you know, I yeah, don't, and, yeah. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to give my best my best attempt at an answer. But I also realize that, you know, there just like I'm saying, I don't want other people to be bigots and say there is only one way. I don't want to come off in that way and saying that this is the only way. But. I'm a humanist at heart, right? I'm a person that truly, truly believes in who we are as a people, regardless of your religious beliefs, regardless of your identities. We are all people first. So I would love to see us get to a place where we are able to uplift, accept and understand that the world does not revolve around me. Yes, I matter and my experiences and who I am as an individual is valid and deserves to be uplifted, but so does everyone else. So I want us to get to a place where we can start to acknowledge difference, but allow that difference to be something that actually brings us together and pushes us forward versus dividing us. And unfortunately, the way that we have structured our society is in that extreme sense of division, right? In that duality of good versus evil, right versus wrong, Democrat versus Republican, right? I I would love to see us get to a space where we don't have to think about everything mm -hmm. as this or that and really dig into the nuance of who we are as a people. Now, a lot of that has to stem from our leaders. I have a I have a framework that I've been toying with the idea that our society as a whole is really governed and structured by three entities, politics, education, and entertainment, 
right? Those three entities drive so much of how, one, we view the larger world, how we view our society as a whole, and at times how we even view ourselves. So I would like to see us moving forward tapping into those three entities and being more intentional about how we really uplift all identities, right? And I think I also operate from a place of where I don't like the idea of attacking white people, mm-hmm. but instead attacking a historical context of patriarchy, of white supremacy, right? Of attacking the idea of white being better, but not attacking white people. And I, and I, and I think we need to get into that realm because in the world we live in today, in the, the cancel culture world, right? At times, it is amazing to see people being held accountable for the harm they may have caused or the harm that they may be perpetuating. But it is counterintuitive at times to cancel someone right off without creating a space for education and growth. Right? I love that, yeah. So I would love to see us also find a middle ground, as you said, in terms of how we think about cancel culture, because, yes, I'm all for holding people accountable, but I'm not for writing folks off to not give space for grace, to not give space for their humanity as well. I think so much of the rise in cancel culture is stemming from folks who have been harmed for far too long, who are finally saying enough is enough. Yeah. Right. I am not going to allow this harm to continue being perpetuated. And I want to address these quote unquote systems that are allowing that harm to exist. I also always say, you know, we talk about systems a lot, but the system is literally people. So mm-hmm. I want to get to the cornerstone of us as people to and then influence those larger systems because those systems are only operating and functioning because we as a people are allowing them to. We as a people are conti- continuing to contribute to them. So I hope we can keep moving forward in, one, holding ourselves and each other accountable, holding mm-hmm. these systems and by that, I mean holding people accountable for the harm that they are that they are bringing forward and being intentional about how we shift those systems and our ideologies to be more inclusive and to continue allowing us to thrive. Right. My other little uh, revelation over the past few years is that collaboration is the key to our survival as a people. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep leaning into collaborating, leaning into recognizing that no matter who you are, no matter what job you hold, whatever field you work in, we are all servicing each other in some way, shape or form. And when we can get to that level of recognizing that I am doing this for myself, but also for us as a people to give a service, to provide something for us to grow and be better. Yeah, you used the word. People obviously a lot use the word human humanity a lot there. And, and when it boils down, I do view these all as human rights and we're all trying to bring boost humanity. I know that's a very mm-hmm. vague, maybe idealistic phrasing for it, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that we even have to have this conversation. It's unfortunate that we have to bring politics into it because it does feel like human rights are just dangled in front of us as political leverage every two to four mm-hmm. years. Um, 
But um, I had um, Jessica Cooper, who's a social worker, on as a podcast a guest. She's done presentations with the, with the Well Focus team before, and mm-hmm. she's she's somebody I heard say this. I, I don't know if she coined this, but I really liked it. Um, if somebody tells you who they are, if somebody tells you how they identify, just believe them. Yeah. They're not lying to you. They're not making stuff up. Sure. There could be memes making fun of the trans movement and saying, oh, I identify as a chair or whatever. Mm. And it's just like that's counterproductive. But at the end of the day, just believe them, especially yeah. when they're talking about something serious. And you know, I know that this has been a pretty serious conversation. And as I wind these down, I always like to end with a more fun converse or fun question that the guest Malik was not prepared for um, <laughs> I never prepare the guest for this it's a light question um, it is October 6th it is 80 degrees out but by definition it is fall and uh-huh. I'm wondering what your favorite thing about the fall season is I will tell you right now I love Halloween yeah okay. I really do it has always been my favorite holiday um, I just like the the childlike nature of it the yeah i've always been a little bit of a nerd so i like supernatural things i really enjoy like comic books and things like that nice. and having the opportunity to dress up is always fun for me i don't know if you know but i'm also a performer um oh, no. an actor actor singer dancer i do a lot of musical theater so halloween is always my fun time and it's right up a, your alley yeah always a, i love sweets you know candy is always a big <laughs> thing for me so for me fall is Halloween. I'm already starting to think about what my Halloween decorations are going to look like. What your costume was? Well, I am. I do have. I, I ordered my costume just last week. Okay. And I told you I'm a nerd, so I'm going to be Wolverine at least for one of the days of Halloween from the X Men. Nice. And then I'm also going to be Black Panther. Okay. Cool. Day. Yeah. So you're yeah. you're marveling it up. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing Marvel this season, uh, which I'm really really excited about. So. Should be a fun time. Lots of uh, different forms of engagement that I'll be doing. So just excited to dress up, be with friends, be with family, just have some fun. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I hope you hope you enjoy that. And uh, yeah. I also just want to take this opportunity again to thank you. This has been awesome. I definitely have some takeaways from my own introspection on this um, and, you know, some of the perspectives that you provided. So I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners will as well. So Malik Muhammad, thank you for being on the Well-Focused Podcast. No problem. Happy to be here. Thank you for your willingness to be engaged in this conversation and for being so amazing and uplifting a lot of the stories and discussions that folks don't want to have. So happy to be here. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, just just doing what I can.